0: Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. A man manipulated nine vulnerable, depressed people over Twitter so that he could bring them back to his apartment and do the unthinkable. Let's look at that. Sakahiro Shiraishi was a fairly odd man who was described by some to be a cheerful, kind, and polite person. Some would say he was quiet, almost docile. Shiraishi had a fairly normal upbringing, until he graduated high school, that is. He wouldn't move on to a university, instead finding odd jobs here and there. For a while, he worked a normal part-time job at a supermarket. And from there, he would go on to work at a pachinko parlor. He would go on to get a job in Kabukicho, which some of you may remember from my video on Yuka Takaoka a while back. It's kind of the seedy underbelly of Tokyo, the red light district. It's got things like bars, love hotels, host clubs, prostitution. I mean, really anything you could imagine in an area like that. Shiraishi found a job working as a scoutsman. What's a scoutsman, you may ask? Well, in bigger cities in Japan, it's not uncommon for shady men to approach attractive women on the street and try to coerce them into working in their... district. This often includes acting in adult films or even as far as prostitution. The scoutsman will likely then get a commission for his finding. This is all very illegal, a felony in fact, but unfortunately because it's so hard to enforce the law, it's not that rare. Shiraishi wasn't very good at his job. He would often just sit around and play on his phone. Women found him to be extremely creepy. Another man working as a scout would take a picture of him and post it on Twitter, writing, watch out for this scout. Shiraishi would eventually go on to get arrested for this and sentenced to 14 months in prison. However, it was a suspended sentence and he didn't see any jail time. After this, Shiraishi would quit his job as a scout. However, one thing that Shiraishi would get out of this job would be that he had developed an affinity for seeking out troubled women. Shiraishi would soon tell his father, I have nothing to live for. His depression clears day. He left his family and his town and moved into an apartment where he lived alone. He remained unemployed. In complete social isolation with nothing but time on his hands, he turned to the internet, namely Twitter. Kureha Ishihara, aged 15, was a great student. Her principal raved about how serious and studious she was. She was a member of the student committee at her high school, and she would passionately debate about the national birth rate decline. She participated in the drama club and was a big fan of anime and video games. One morning, she donned her school uniform and left the house. She never showed up at school, but she did notify the school of her incoming absence. She was seen heading to a train station at about seven in the evening, but she was never seen again. Realizing something was strange, her mother tried contacting her over line multiple times that evening, but her messages remained unread. Nearby, Natsumi Kubo, a 17-year-old girl, also went missing. Natsumi was an avid reader and put great effort into everything she tried. She was big into the anime club at school and previously sang in a chorus. She worked part-time at a ramen shop. She was rarely ever absent from school. One evening, she told her family that she was heading out to get something to eat and was never seen again. So, what did these two girls have in common? Well, for one, they were both very active on Twitter. Two, they were both depressed. And three, they both came into contact with our titular character, Takahiro Shiraishi. Shiraishi had been actively posting on Twitter about suicide, assisted suicide, and hanging. Especially hanging. He would post using an account named at hangingpro. Subtle. Although his Twitter account is now inactive, there are screenshots that have been preserved that show some of his profile and some of his posts. I've translated them here. For his profile, Shiraishi clearly stated, I want to spread knowledge of hanging. I want to become a truly aggressive force. DM me if you're interested. Shiraishi would prey upon depressed, particularly suicidal people. It's not known if he himself was actually suicidal, but he clearly posted in a way that portrayed him as so. He would contact multiple people using multiple accounts and discuss death and hanging with them. He would push them towards suicide making an effort to convince them that it was the ultimate solution to their problems. He would even make suicide packs with them, something he would never actually follow through with. He was very active on Twitter, usually posting with a bunch of death or suicide related hashtags to kind of find some people who might be a little vulnerable at the moment who felt like they could relate to him. Either at school or at work, bullying won't stop. If it's a place you go every day, if you don't get along well with the people you meet, it will take a toll on your mind. All throughout the world, even if it may not make the news, there are a lot of people out there who are in agony, contemplating suicide. I want to lend those people a hand. Under the guise of being an understanding confidant, Shiraishi would openly discuss which method of ending one's own life would cause the least pain, many times with children. He would only advocate for hanging, discussing why other methods simply wouldn't work or may cause pain. Shiraishi was extremely manipulative. Rather than genuinely connecting with like-minded, depressed people online, it was all very calculated and planned with dark intentions. Within days of moving into his new apartment, he was meeting with these people in person and inviting them back to his place. He would come to meet Mizuki Miura, a 21-year-old woman who lived nearby enough to meet up. Desperately needing money after moving into his new apartment with no job, Shiraishi convinced Miura to lend him some money. This would be her downfall. Mizuki Miura was Shiraishi's first victim. One day, she left home without saying a word and was never seen again. Unknown to those around her, Shiraishi had convinced her to come back to his apartment to discuss paying back his loan. As you may suspect, he had no intention of paying her back. He sexually assaulted her and eventually strangled her with a rope, ending her life and keeping the money. Shiraishi met Kureha Ishihara online around this time. It's suspected that Kureha was secretly depressed, as she had been conversing with Shiraishi over Twitter for some time. Eventually, five days after the first murder, Shiraishi would convince her to come to his apartment as well. He raped and strangled her with a rope, and then achieved his goal of taking a few thousand yen from her, the equivalent of less than a hundred dollars. Shogo Nishinaka, a 20-year-old man, went missing two days later. He had told his mother that he was going to a concert, but he instead secretly went to hang out with Shiraishi. Shiraishi had specifically targeted a male victim this time, feeling that he would too easily reveal his identity as a male if he only pursued female victims. Again, wanting some money, he lured him back to his apartment. He would go on to strangle Shogo with a rope and steal Yet again, the equivalent of less than $100 from him. Just the money he had in his wallet at the time. Hinako Sarashina, 19, said she was going to work, but never came home. She was sexually assaulted and strangled with a rope. She would get a little bit more money this time, the equivalent of a couple hundred dollars. Hitomi Fujiyama, age 26, made no secret that she was talking to someone online. She told an acquaintance that she was going to meet someone that she met on Twitter, after which her communication stopped. She was also sexually assaulted and strangled, netting Shiraishi some pocket change. A few days later, he met previously discussed Natsumi Kubo, 17. After failing to attend school, around 2 p.m. that day, GPS data from her phone cut out near Shiraishi's neighborhood. For a while, that's all anyone knew. She had met up with Shiraishi in the evening, eventually going back to his apartment, only to be sexually assaulted and strangled as well. Again, he took the small amount of money she had on hand. Another 17-year-old girl, Akari Suda, never showed up to school and was never seen again. As you have likely come to expect, She was lured back to his apartment, sexually assaulted, strangled, and robbed of a small amount of money. Kazumi Maruyama, age 25, went to a convenience store after work and was never seen again. She had also been lured back to the apartment and, same as the others, was sexually assaulted, strangled, and robbed. All of these cases occurred within the span of three months some cases occurring as frequently as being only two days apart from each other. Needless to say, Shiraishi had turned these horrific crimes into a routine. He got cocky, as a lot of killers do, and got sloppy. This isn't to say that he wasn't sloppy from the beginning, though. He left a trail of messages on Twitter every time he would find a victim that he would go on to kill. This, shortly after, would come back to bite him in the ass. His next victim, Aiko Tamura, age 23, would prove to be his last. Aiko's mother had recently passed away, and she was understandably very depressed, being in mourning. She was living in a group home in which residents receive assistance from psychiatric professionals and social workers. However, they were free to leave as they pleased. She took to Twitter to find like-minded people to discuss her feelings with anonymously. She met Shiraishi and went on to exchange dozens of messages until she finally set off to meet him in person, with plans to end her life. However, things didn't go quite as planned. Upon meeting Shiraishi, Aiko began to change her mind about her urge to die. She was unsure of what to do. Shiraishi, though, didn't really care about how she felt about the issue. He was already determined to kill her and rob her, and her opinion wasn't going to change that. When she seemed off guard, he began to choke her, when she strongly resisted. Aiko eventually fell unconscious. It was at this point that Shiraishi hung her from a height of about two meters from the loft bed of his apartment. Aiko, however, left some messages on Twitter undeleted. It was evident that she had attempted to wipe everything, but had failed to erase a few of the messages. Her older brother was able to find them, which set him on a search to find the man that she was contacting. He convinced a female friend to make a fake account on Twitter, get close to him, and set up a time and place to meet with him. Shiraishi was unsurprisingly easy to hook, sending her a message saying, let's die together. They then contacted the police and informed them of the plan. Police were quick to meet up with Shiraishi at the designated meeting place, his apartment. They went on to question him, asking what he knew of Aiko and where she was. Defeated, Shiraishi said, she's in the freezer. Nobody could prepare for what the police found upon entering the apartment. The police found a total of nine dismembered human bodies throughout the apartment. There were three coolers lined up, each containing various body parts, including heads, arms, and legs. Five large toolboxes were also set up, each containing their own collection of rotting body parts. Many of the body parts had flesh removed, seemingly by a jagged tool, and were reduced to bone. 240 different human bones were found within the scene, leaving DNA testing as the only reasonable route to determine who each body part belonged to. Neighbors were quick to tell the police that they had definitely noticed some raunchy smells coming from Shiraishi's apartment, namely the smell of rotting flesh and decay. Some noted that he always had a ventilation fan in his apartment turned on, which they found odd. Others stated that he had been coming and going all throughout the night for weeks, dressed in all black and acting shady. He had evidently been slowly peeling the flesh away from the bones so that he could throw it away into the garbage and into the recycling. A saw was found, apparently the tool that he was using to dismember the victims. Various body parts were found placed into different containers full of cat litter, presumably to hide the smell. Part of Aiko Tamura was found in his apartment, along with her ID and what appeared to be her handbag. A DNA test was done on the body part, confirming it to be a match with Aiko. Security cameras at the nearest train station had also caught video of Shiraishi and Aiko meeting. Takahiro Shiraishi, who was being held in police custody, was, unsurprisingly, served with an arrest warrant. He confessed quickly and easily he was quick to tell his story he revealed to police that he had met all of his victims on Twitter and brought them back to his apartment in order to help them commit suicide however every single one of the victims would go on to change their mind about suicide once they were in his apartment none of them really wanted to die he admitted he killed them anyway To the police, he referred to the victims as his objects of desire and flatly admitted that his motivation was purely money and sex. He joked about how hard it was to dismember the bodies and dispose of them afterwards. There is no doubt that I tried to hide the body of the person I killed, he said. I dismembered it in the bathroom, disposing of some body parts in the garbage. He said that, after his first killing, it took him three whole days to cut the body apart. He claimed that he got more and more skillful over time, narrowing the time to destroy a body down to one day by the end. Despite these claims, Shiraishi was reportedly shocked at his arrest. It prevented him from sleeping at night. He regretted not doing more to hide or destroy the phones of the victims. He lamented that he spent so much time focusing on destroying the bodies and so little on destroying other material evidence. He gained his second arrest warrant when the phone of his eighth victim, Kazumi Maruyama, was found in his home. After a little while, he would be hit with arrest warrants for all of the murders. The case became a media storm and was soon well-known throughout the entire country, as well as becoming somewhat well-known in other parts of the world as well. The media covered the case constantly, spilling all of the gruesome details, providing updates anytime a new detail was known. The majority of the media, as Japanese media usually attempts to do, tried to hide the identities of the victims. However, as you can tell, their identities were soon brought to light. The coverage wasn't really limited to factual information. Some tabloids were quick to assume that Shiraishi must have eaten parts of his victims because he had uh, been cutting them up. Really, that's the only evidence there is for that. Some others assumed that he had a large library of photos of the bodies on his phone, but again, uh, no evidence to support that, so take it as you will. Shiraishi's trial would prove to be frustratingly long for someone who had confessed, as murder trials can tend to be let alone multiple murder trials. However, the man himself had confessed and there was a mountain of evidence against him. One of the first things that prosecutors would do would be to determine whether he was mentally competent enough to be held liable for his crimes. After about five months of psychiatric testings, he was deemed to be competent. Throughout the trial, Shiraishi would demand that any media organization pay money to interview him. When Gigi Press visited him, they refused to pay him. However, he began to blab anyhow, giving details about his crimes. When they would ask how he could do this, Shiraishi claimed that he drew a line between the people he cared about and the people he didn't know. He cared very little when it came to the latter. There was zero remorse. He spoke joyfully all throughout the interview, making wild gestures and laughing. He expressed an interest in writing a book or exchanging some lengthy letters, if the price was right. He said that he was using most of his time to exercise, stating that he felt pretty great. Shiraishi's defense would raise questions as to whether he was actually competent enough to be criminally responsible and requested a second wave of psychiatric exams. At the least, they argued that his mental capacity was significantly diminished at the time. The residing judge, Naokuni Yano, ruled that Shiraishi was mentally fit to be held responsible for the murders. The prosecutors were quick to point out that there was no way that the victims had actually consented to being killed. Shiraishi himself had said that they all resisted. In order to get a lesser sentence, the defense would say that Shiraishi had killed the victims in a form of assisted suicide and that they fully consented. They said that struggling against the strangling was merely a reflex and that the victims hadn't necessarily changed their minds. Prosecutors shot that theory down immediately. They demanded the death penalty. Shidaichi didn't seem to care and accepted it fully. I humbly admit my guilt and will accept the punishment, he said. He finally apologized to the families of his victims, albeit short and sweet. I am very sorry for taking lives so easily, he told them. He pled guilty on all charges and stated that he would not appeal the decision. After an all too long trial, he was sentenced to death in December of 2020. The killing shocked the nation, understandably. The fact that social media has become so intertwined within our daily lives was brought under extreme scrutiny, along with the social stigma associated with mental illness that pushes people to discuss their problems in private. With not only people who are unqualified to help them, but people who could be dangerous as well, as in this case. Both the government and social networking services vowed to push for more support for young people with mental illness. The father of one of the teen victims, who remained anonymous, reacted to Shiraishi's sentencing, saying, It doesn't matter what the sentencing was. The problem is that my daughter won't come back. If this case had been looked into earlier, my daughter wouldn't be dead. The Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology Ministry now that's one hell of a name made the decision to fund online support counseling in some areas across Japan utilizing popular chat apps such as Line. The government further decided to improve education for elementary school students revolving around social media and interpersonal relationships. In Japan, and now in some other countries as well, Twitter began linking users who search for death related hashtags to a nonprofit organization specializing in suicide prevention. As with all death penalty cases, it will be quite a while before Shiraishi is actually executed. But given that he doesn't plan to appeal, uh, it might go quicker than normal. We'll just have to see.